This is also a siyam amasechta sukkah, a summary of the sikha. In this week's parasha it says, Hashem. You shall do what is just and good in the eyes of Hashem. The Gemara learns from that the laws of bar metzer, which means of neighboring fields. If somebody has a neighboring field to someone else, and that uh, one, the, one of them sold the field to somebody else, the the neighbor can come and ask the or demand from the buyer that he should give him the field, sell him the field because it's a benefit to, for somebody to have fields next to each other and therefore that is just and good and the neighbor should get first rights to be able to have that field even if it was sold he should still be able to get the field from the buyer and from the way the Gemara says it and the way the Rambam explains it it seems that it is about the seller the seller has an obligation sorry the buyer it's about the buyer that he has an obligation to make sure that the neighbor gets the field rather than him and therefore even if it was sold to him he has to relinquish it to the neighbor of course he has to get paid for it but he has to relinquish it and therefore when the Gemara, the Gemara says what happens if he sold it the neighbor sold it to a goy so therefore there is no law of Bar anymore because the goy is not commanded to honor the Pasuk uh, and the Torah of Asis of and therefore you can't expect the goy to relinquish the field in other words it's about the, the buyer that he has the obligation to give it up to the neighbor but there are two ways in which you can look at this halacha. One is that it's about the, the two neighboring people, that the, the person that buys the field, he has an obligation. It's not that there is something integral that, is, that connects the neighbor to the field. It's just that out of, out of a sense of decency, the seller, the buyer, should give it up to the neighbor. Another way of looking at it is that the Torah creates a connection between the neighbor and that field. And the way the Muki Yosef says, uh, a commentary that the Muki Yosef, one of the Rishonim says, that it's as if the Torah gave the neighbor a part of that field. He gave him access to that field. There is a certain ownership that the neighbor already has of that field. So it's not just about the buyer that he has to give it up to the neighbor. It's that the neighbor has a right to that field. And we see that the, in the, the difference between the way Rashi explains the mitzvah bar metzra and the way the Rambam explains it, we see that they seem to be divergent in the way they see this, uh, this mitzvah in the way we explain. Whether it's just an incum- incumbent on the buyer that he should give it up out of a sense of justice or that it is integral to this uh, field that it belongs somewhat already to the neighbor and therefore has to be given up to him. We see this from the, way, the wording that Rashi explains it. Rashi says, something that you lose nothing by it, because you can find a field anywhere. And so therefore you shouldn't make, uh, 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 you shouldn't burden your neighbor to have to find, uh, you know, divide up his two properties in two separate places. Rashi explains it as being uh, directed at the buyer. Don't buy this field. Or if you bought it, give it up to the neighbor. The Rambam says, says it differently. 
the person who is the neighbor is able to give the money to the, to the purchaser and to remove him because of Asisa Yoshua Taif. And the Chachamim said that the, uh, as of a sense of Yoshua Taif, he is the one that should be buying this field, the neighbor. In other words, that it's not just about the buyer that he is obligated to give it up to the neighbor. This is what's right. right. This is what's just. This is how sales should be uh, conducted. In other words, it's something that the Bezdin, that the very sense of sales in the Jewish thought are done in this way. And because the Ramam sees it this way, that it's not just that the buyer needs to be a good person and give it up to the neighbor. He says that this is what is right. This is how it should be conducted. This is how sales happen. Therefore, when it, if a guy, if it was sold to a guy, the Ramam doesn't say, well, then there's no issue because a guy has no such responsibility. He says, no, there is an issue. The one that sells it to the guy, the seller becomes responsible that any damage that will be done to the neighbor, he has to take that responsibility for those damages. Because it's not about the buyer, it's about this is how sales should be done. If you violate the way Jews sell fields, then you take responsibility. The seller also becomes responsible. Now that we understand the two approaches to the idea of Bar Metzra, the Rebbe says that we often find that when you see a certain principle expressed in one halacha, it often carries across into many halachas which seem unrelated to that halacha. And as the Ragged Shover was uh, very often did, he showed the connection between principles in very divergent areas of Torah and how they all share the same principle. So in this case, we could also say the same thing. And the principle is, there are two ways of looking at neighboring things, like in the case of the neighboring fields. Is there a, only a peripheral connection between the two neighbors? And therefore, as Rashi says, the neighbor should, out of a sense of decency, give up his field, or the, the buyer should, out of a sense of decency, give up the field to the neighbor. But that there is no integral connection between the neighbor and the neighboring field. According to the Rambam, he says, no, there is an integral connection. That field already belongs to him in a certain sense. And that's why it becomes the law which the Chachamim will enforce. That is the halacha. That is, there is already a connection between the two, the neighbor and his neighboring field. And this can be applied in other areas of neighbor, neighborhood or neighborship. So we find three different types of neighborship in halacha. As an example, in the, in the three areas of Oilam, Shona, Nefesh, which means space, time, and man, and people. We already discussed neighbors in space, the two fields which, uh, which adjoin each other. Then there is neighbors in time, neighborhood, neighborship in time. We know that there's Allah that you have to be Moisif Mechel Alakaidish. When there is, let's say, Shabbos or Yom Tif, and especially Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is actually Midday Everybody agrees that you have to add to the, uh, some minutes to the time of Yom Kippur from the day before, from Erev Yom Kippur, and the day after uh, at Matzah Yom Kippur. So we fast a little longer. We conduct a little longer the fast of Yom Kippur because in the Pasuk it says, on the ninth of the month you shall fast. But the question is, it's only on the 10th. The answer is that you have to fast a little bit on the ninth. That's why everybody agrees that it's Midday Raisa. For Shabbos and Yom Tov, there's a machleikas if the 
adding of minutes to the time of Shabbos is Medeiraisa Medeirabana. But in any case, there is a mitzvah to add to that time. Those minutes are the neighbors in time of the Shabbos of the Yom of the Yom Kippur. So there are two ways to looking at this additional few minutes. Is it that, that they are integrally connected to the day of Shabbos, as an example, and therefore they too become, take on the holiness of Shabbos? That means they have an internal connection, like the Rambam says. Or do we say, no, it's only a peripheral connection, and that it's not that the few minutes before Shabbos become holy, it's just that the person has to treat them as if, conduct themselves during that time as if it is already Shabbos. But the time in itself is not really Shabbos. What would be the difference? The question would be, can you make Kiddush during those few minutes? If we say that it's, uh, that it's the holiness of Shabbos has attached itself to that time, then you can make Kiddush already at that time and eat your meal of Shabbos at that time. But if you say that it isn't, so then you, it's only that you have to conduct yourself by not doing malachas, then of course you can't make Kiddush during that time. Incidentally, this would not apply to Pesach. Even if we accept that the additional minutes that you add to Pesach, or minutes or hours that you add to the time of Pesach, you still wouldn't be able to start your Seder and drink the first cup, make Kiddush, and eat matzah during that time, because over there it needs to be done during the night. And even though it can take on the holiness of Pesach, but it can't become night, therefore you can't start your Seder until it is already legally night. Now to speak about neighboring, neighborship in man, in a person. We find at the end of Masech Sukkah that there was the, the Mishnah tells a story that there was the, the group of Bilga, there were 24 shifts that worked, Kayanim shifts that worked in the Beis Amigdash. Each one would come for a week, then they would leave for 23 weeks and would come back a week again a half a year later. They had names, each one was a, like a family group and one of them was called Bilga. The shift of Bilga was punished by the uh, powers that be in three ways. The Mishnah says they were punished in three ways. First of all, they always, uh, normally, they, when the, the incoming shift was seen as the uh, primary shift for that day, the un- incoming, the new shift. So they would eat their karbanas, all the uh, sanctified foods that they ate, on the north side of the Azara, of the temple courtyard, because the north side was the dominant side. That's where the, that we had to shecht the important karbonas, and the south side was considered to be a lower level of Kedusha. So the incoming shift always ate in the north, the outgoing shift ate in the south. By Bilga, they always ate in the south. They were punished in that way. Another thing, their ring was closed, it was fixed rather, the ring was fixed, and the window was closed. Their window was closed, which will be explained a little later what exactly that means. The Gemara explains about this Mishnah, why were they punished? Why were this group of uh, Bilga punished? And says one reason was because there was a young lady from the family of Bilga, Miriam Bas Bilga, that married a non-Jewish uh, soldier, and she came into the Beis Hamikdash, and she t- when there was when the enemy invaded the Beis Hamikdash, she came into the Beis Hamikdash. She took off her shoe and she banged with her shoe on the mizbeach, and she said, "You wolf, how long will you consume the property of the Jewish people, and you don't come to their aid when they need your help? The enemy has invaded, and you don't help them." So because of this chutzpah, the, the way she behaved, they punished the group. The Gemara asked, so that's one reason.
The other reason is given is because they always came late. They always came late, so therefore they were punished. But the dominant reason seems to be, the way the Gemara elaborates on the story of Bilga, that that seems to be the main reason. And the Gemara asks the question, so why should we punish everybody in the group because one girl in the family behaved in this way? And the Gemara answers, whatever a child says in the street is what the parents talk about at home. Still the Gemara asks, so that's her and her and her parents. But what about the rest of the group? The answer is, woe to the evil person, woe to their neighbor. And then conversely, good for the, you know, good for the tzaddik and good for his neighbor as well, and brings a posik to prove the point that good for the tzaddik and good for his neighbor. Rashi explains the idea of not from a posik. It seems that Rashi did not have that posik in his Gemara as we find, in fact, many uh, versions of the Gemara don't have that Pasuk. And he explains it as a logical thing. If it's true for, tzadi, for a Russia in the negative, then it's certainly true in the positive. If it's bad for the neighbor of the Russia, certainly it's good for the neighbor of the Tzaddik. So you have to understand why Rashi relies on the idea as a concept rather than as a Pasuk. So first, let's expl- so to understand this, we have to explain what were the two other ways in which they were punished about the uh, the ring and the window that was closed up. So Rashi explains it in this way: there were rings in the uh, area of the butchery where they would uh, shech the behemoths, the animals for the korbanos, and a ring was uh, created in such a way that it was a half circle, like a moon crescent, pointing upwards, and you would put the head of the animal into that half circle, and then you would uh, close the ring by moving the other side of the circle into place and now the animal's head was fixed and you could shech the animal so for, to punish this group they fixed, they soldered their ring into an open position therefore they were not able to use it anymore as a place for shechita they had to borrow from the other groups as far as the windows there were windows that were open like they were like lockers in the walls in the thickness of the walls of the Beis Amigdash in certain areas where they would store their chalovim, their shechita knives, and they closed up their locker. They had no access to the locker. Again, they had to borrow from the other groups. The Rambam explains it differently. He says that the rings were the rings that they used in order to skin, to flay the animals after they were, shecht, they were shechted, and the lockers were where they stored their big de kahuna, the garments that they did their avayda in. So the group of Bilga had to store their garments in other people's lockers, which was another way of bringing shame on them as a group. What is the difference between these two approaches, Rashi and the Rambam? It seems that Rashi says that the whole punishment of the group of Bilga was in the area of Shechita. The ring of shechita and the knives of shechita. Why? Because shechita is something which is a woman that can do shechita in the Beis Hamikdash as well. That's one part of the Aveda that is not specific to the Kayanim. Even women can do it. They punish them in a way that at least theoretically Bilga could have done that Aveda and they were punished that she could not do that Aveda. According to the Rambam, they punished them in all areas of Avaida. The big de kahuna, the garments of the kahuna, were something that they wore in every area. That's not something that Bilga or any woman would have been able to wear. The flaying of the animals was something after the shechita, which was also in the, 
inside the Azorah and the woman wasn't able to go there, so it's unrelated to women. What's the idea behind? Whether you say it this way or that way. According to Rashi, he says, since he holds that there is no integral connection between a neighbor, so you have to punish them in a way that affects the original problem, the woman, Bilga, and only that seems reasonable that you should punish them in things regarding her. But they were unaffected by what she did. There was no integral connection between what she did and what they, who they were. Therefore, the punishment had to pertain to something that affects her. The Rambam says, there is an integral connection between the Russia and the Shachan. Therefore, they too became sort of, they took on certain behavioral patterns of this Miriam Basbilga, and therefore the punishment could apply to them. It didn't have to relate to her herself. It had to, it could apply to them as well, and therefore the punishment was applied even in areas which were unrelated to her, because neighborship is an integral connection. They became affected by the Russia as well. Therefore, we can now understand why Rashi doesn't quote this Pasuk. Because this, what's the Raya from this Pasuk? The Pasuk that Toiv la Tzadik comes from the Pasuk. Imru Tzadik saved say about a Tzadik that it is good. Kiprim alaleyem yoichlu because they will eat the fruits of their labors. What's the proof from this Pasuk? It starts with an individual, eight Sadik, and then it goes on to say, the fruits of their labors they will eat. In other words, that the other neighbors also benefit from the efforts of the Tzadik. That's the proof that it's good for the neighbors of the Tzadik as well. But then the question is, it should have said, they, the neighbors, will eat the benefits of his efforts. They will have the benefits of his efforts. What does it mean, their efforts? The answer is that once the tzaddik has his influence on the neighbors, they too become better. They become uplifted and therefore they put in the effort and therefore they eat the benefits of their own efforts. But that is not how Rashi sees neighborship. That means that the tzaddik has an integral uh, um, influence on his neighbors, that he changes them into better people. And Rashi doesn't see neighborship that way, therefore he doesn't bring the proof from there. He brings it from a logical thing, that if it's good, if it's so in the negative, it's also so in the positive. The truth is, however, that there's a, a big difference between and in this matter, whether it's an integral thing or not. By a yid, the, we know that the punishment by a yid is, only, is not something that is eternal, and it's not something that is, it's only external. It's external and only temporary, not eternal. And therefore, um, because an Aveira to a Yid is something that is external to who he really is. And therefore, but why, when it comes, therefore, Oyla Rosh of is only something which is external. But when it comes to Tevla Tzadik Vetevla Shechenai, over there, goodness and therefore reward is something which is ex- internal and integral to a Yid. So over there, there is an integral connection between a Yid and the goodness that comes from the Tzaddik that is his neighbor, and therefore it's Meruba, therefore we see it as even more so in the case of Toiv Tzaddik and because that is internal and integral to a Yid, and therefore is eternal and does remain much more so than by the Eil Rosh of 
Another thing about Eile Rosh Hashanah, what does this mean? What does it mean? How do, how do we serve Hashem with the idea of Eile Rosh Hashanah? What this means in our Aveda is, Oi means regret. Oi, I'm in pain. When a Yid does an Aveda, he immediately feels the feeling of, Oi, I did a terrible thing. In other words, that's the expression of Tshuva. That a, a Yid does Tshuva for any, for the Rosha does Tshuva. Oi, the Rosha. So the idea of Eile Rosha means the, the idea of Tshuva of dismantling Ra. Sur me Ra, to remove yourself from Ra. Toiv Tzadik, what is that? That means the feeling of joy and, uh, and Simcha over your ability to do good, over the tzad, of, over doing mitzvahs. So there is the idea of Sur me Ra, Eile Rosha the idea of Asei Toiv, the Simcha from doing uh, mitzvahs. Now that we understand this idea of Eilu Rosh Hashanah, this explains something that the Megala Amukha says. He says that the, uh, the Rosh Hashanah of Elul is Eilu Rosh Hashanah. That's the Rosh Hashanah of Elul? Eilu Rosh Hashanah? The answer is that because what does Eilu Rosh Hashanah mean? It means the idea of Tshuva, which is of course very much the idea of Elul. And that also explains what it says in the Zohar. The Zohar says that the three months of Nisan, Ir, and Sivan belong to Yaakov. Those are the months of holiness. Then there is Tammuz and Av. That belongs to Esav. And the, the Zohar says, but he should have got three months. But no, Elul was not given to him at all. Elul is a time of holiness that has no connection to Esav at all. And therefore he's lost from there. And as even and of only from Tishubab, only the nine, the first nine days belonged to him, and after that, it was already not given to him either. So, in other words, that um, there is a difference between Elul, which was not given to him to begin with, and of which was given to him, but only parts of it. The difference is, Eila Rasha is talking about Elul. That's the time when a yid does tshuva and is working on the destroying evil and therefore it flows back into the neighboring month that even parts of Av are also influenced by the Aveda of Elul, retroactively that even parts of Av are also reclaimed into the Rishus of Ketusha and therefore are disconnected from Esav which is why the Karban Asanel says that even though it says in Shulchan Aruch and the Gemara that if a Yid has a court case with a guy, he shouldn't do it during the month of Av, the Karban Asanel says this only applies to the first nine days, but after that it's already removed from the control of Esav, from the control of Klippa, and therefore you can already do your court case in the second part of Av as well. That's the Tev, the, uh, the Shechenai is benefits from the from the tshuva of Elul as well.